instructing us in your word, by encouraging us from it, by, by giving us a sense of security of your love for us, by convicting us and teaching us how better to love one another. Lord, let all that we do today from praying, to preaching, to singing, to giving, to spending time with one another be acts of worship. It is all worship. All of it is intended to declare your, to declare your worth and your worthiness. And so we gather corporately to worship together and, and, and to seek you out, to, uh, to seek to hear from you, to learn from you, to be instructed by you. Father, we, uh, we ask that you would give us uh, high and soaring views of who you are, of your character, of your nature, of your graciousness towards us. Lord, let us never settle for low views of you. Let us not be guilty, as the psalmist declares, of thinking that you are like us. You have revealed yourself to us, and we can know you. And Father, let us, uh, let us have high and grand and glorious views of who you are. Father, we pray that... Um, that we would be a church from which the word, your word, rings forth and sounds out, not only into this community, that we would be quick to share the gospel with people, but across the world. Lord, we think this morning of uh, Sandy and Sue Nafziger as um, we've been informed of some big changes that are coming up for them. We're grateful for their ministry and for their service. We thank you for the, for the first time in decades they get a uh, brief um, home assignment where they get to work from home and Lord as they will be relocating we pray that you would give them uh, clarity as far as uh, what their next steps are what, what you're calling them to do uh, where they're calling that where you're calling them to minister Lord we ask for uh, some of this the issues that Sue has had with her health that you would bring her um, uh, some relief from some of the difficulties that she's been experiencing Lord we pray this morning also for Mission Church here in Walla Walla as they gather. Lord, we pray for Brian and, um, and Jairus as they minister to that congregation and as they, they seek to apply wisdom in this time to what you've called the church to do and be. Father, may the words sound forth from them as well. Give them great faithfulness to the gospel and bless them accordingly. Father, we think of those among us who uh, either are having or have had health issues. Lord, we thank you for the positive report and the, the recovery, uh, quick recovery from Kathy Jordan and Mike Davis as they both had surgery uh, this week and, and, or recently. And we just thank you for uh, the successful surgeries and the quick and, uh, and good recoveries that are going there. Lord, we ask for continued strength and relief from pain. Lord, we think for, uh, of Sally Harris as she has been or had been hospitalized and uh, is looking to what her um, future care might look like. Father, we pray that you would give her son wisdom as he um, plans some of that care as well. Lord, we think of Nadine as both of her parents are uh, hospitalized. Father, give her strength as she cares for them and no doubt worries about them. Uh, but Lord, we ask for their health as well and that you would uh, give doctors wisdom and care in them. Lord, for this, this morning, uh, we just ask that you would give us uh, open eyes and soft hearts as we approach your word, and that we might see the truth uh, contained in it and, and know what we are to do with it. But most of all, Lord, that we, would, uh, that we would stand amazed at who you are and all that you have done for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Uh, Follow with me as I read to you John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Uh, And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, a passage many of us uh, are probably familiar with. We'll turn to it later if you don't want to turn there now. But Paul reminds us here that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And the final passage, probably most of you know it by memory, that we will give attention to today is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, Recently, Oreos proved to be an interesting opportunity to speak about the nature of love. Bradley and I were in Safeway. We were walking through the store. We passed the cookie aisle, and he said to me, Dad, I love Oreos. I said, really? He said, yes, I love Oreos. I said, what does it mean to love? Well, we're going to explore that question today, and we'll answer it a a little more here shortly. But, But that is the question before us this morning, because before we can talk about what it means or how, really, we are to love one another, what loving one another in the body of Christ looks like, we have to make sure that we have a working knowledge of what love is. And maybe even more specifically than that, we need to be certain that when we talk about loving others, we mean not just the same thing as we talk, but really that we mean the same thing that God means when He speaks of love. Because if we define love differently than God defines love, then when we see the Word in in His Word, we'll not really understand what He means. Uh, Love gets used in many different ways today. Um, I will say from the start, as we explore some of these ways, uh, there there might be a glimmer of truth in all of them, but none of them are the whole picture. Uh, Love gets used in terms of intense or, or strong like for something. I love Oreos. Or it gets used frequently in terms of permissiveness. Uh, I, would nor, I thought about maybe assigning this to teenagers, but really it applies to all of us, but the principle stands. In the mind of teenagers, oftentimes parental love looks like permissiveness. If you love me, you'll let me do what I want, when I want, how I want, because I want, and when you don't let me do what I want, when I want, how I want, because I want, well then, You just don't love me. But the truth of the matter is, we all do that with love sometimes. A a big way in which love gets defined in our world today is in terms of tolerance, which is just another another form 
of permissiveness, that you will tolerate whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want it. And we often use the word love in terms of uh, delight, to delight in something. I love it when my wife makes blank for dinner. You can insert the blank there. But, but so, oftentimes when we delight in something, I love going to the mountains. I love camping. Uh, it's not just a like for something. It's a delight and an enjoyment in. I think sadly maybe this idea of love is probably the pervasive idea in marriages today. That as long as you are an object in which I take pleasure, then I love you. But as soon as I don't delight in you anymore, as soon as your behavior or, or anything uh, comes along in such a way that I no longer delight in, I don't, I don't love you anymore. We hear things like, well, we've just grown apart. We have irreconcilable differences. She doesn't make me happy anymore. He doesn't meet my needs. We have turned our spouses into an object that is intended to delight us. And when they cease to delight us in our ways, we say we don't love them anymore. Not all of these are bad. In fact, um, alone and without boundaries, uh, when they are abused, is particularly when we run into trouble. But it's certainly okay to like someone you love, isn't it? It's certainly okay. It's certainly possible. In fact, I would say it's certainly good if you take delight in those you love. Ephesians chapter 5, 31 and 32 makes this very clear, where Paul says, this is strange and hard, follow me if you will. He says in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, the two, speaking of a husband and wife, shall become one flesh. He's referring back to Genesis there, where God declares in marriage that a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a, a specifically, this is a reference specifically to the intimate, delightful relationship between a husband and a wife. And then Paul says this, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, God created this one flesh, intimate, enjoyable, delightful union between a husband and a wife for the purpose of showing us the delight that Christ has in His church and that His church is to have in Him. And so as we think of, think of newlyweds excitedly delighting in one another, Jesus says, when you see that, you, you should see my delight in my bride and my bride's delight in me. It is clear that love can and should de uh, in, involve delight. Permissiveness, maybe the most confused, is also part of what love can be. Today, it means that I get to do what I want, when I want, how I want. But if we rewind all the way back to the beginning, when God created us, set Adam and Eve in the garden, what did he do? He permitted everything of them, except for one thing, of one tree they were not to eat. And why did God restrict their behavior? Why did God restrict their actions? Was it out of cruelty? Was it out of harshness? No, it was out of 
love. He knew that in the moment that they ate of that fruit, that the result would be sin and sadness and sickness and death and toil and trouble and quarreling. When what he permitted of them initially was marriage and intimacy and food and fellowship and enjoyment in the world that he had created. See, God's restriction is always out of love, but, but Adam and Eve bought the lie. They bought the same lie that's presented to our culture today. The lie is this, that God, you cannot be both good and tell me no. You can't restrict me, you can't restrict my behavior and be loving. And so this thing, in their case, fruit, that they were going to declare as good, even though God had declared it not good, they took and, and, and uh, well, we know the story from there. It was disastrous. What God restricts, he restricts out of love. What God permits, he permits out of love. What God calls us to like, he calls us to like out of love. And what God gives us as a delight, he gives us out of love. So what then is love? Well, that brings us to our first point, and that is love defined. We have got to come up with a working definition of love. And there's no single verse in Scripture that says, here is what love is. And I, I wanted to define it for myself. And so some years ago, I went on a search through Scripture, uh, primarily asking the question of the cross, what does it mean that God loves us? And so here is my definition trying to sum up the biblical perspective on love. Love is pursuing the good of another just as God has pursued our good in Christ. Love is pursuing the good of another just as God has pursued our good in Christ. God delights in us. God permits what is good for us. But the ultimate display of God's love for us is in what he has done for us. Let's see this principle working out in Scripture. If you still have a finger in 1 Corinthians or leave a finger in John 13 and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. This is probably the clearest passage in Scripture on what love is or maybe as we'll see specifically what love does. This, this passage has been uh, spoken of in, in many ways. I think it was John Calvin who spoke of it as a string of pearls, one beautiful thing right after another. There are 15 characteristics that Paul gives us as far as what love is. He tells us that love is patient. That is, long, uh, suff literally suffers long, endures evil. It is kind. This is how it responds to, to the evil under which it must be patient. It does not envy, that is, it does not want what others have, and it does not boast about what it has. It is not arrogant, thinking highly of oneself. It is not rude in the way that it treats others. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, because if we go back to the garden, we know that wrong simply brings misery and destruction, but it rejoices in the truth, because what God permits out of love is good for us. Love bears all things, love believes all things. When it seems like the end of a relationship is here that you can take no more, 
Love hopes all things. And even then, love endures all things. The interesting thing about this passage, which is a little bit hard for us to see in English, is that all of these 15 characteristics of love that Paul gives us here, they're not nouns. They're all verbs. Not a single one of them describes love, and I would say this for the whole of Scripture, love is never defined biblically by what it feels merely, but by what it does. Always love is defined by what it does. So back to Oreos. Bradley and I are walking down the the, uh, aisle of Safeway. He sees a package of Oreos says, I love Oreos. I said, really? He says, yeah, I love Oreos. I said, what does it mean to love? He says, I don't don't really know, Dad. I said, love is pursuing the good of someone else. I said, do you pursue the good of Oreos? He says, no, but I really, really like them. (laughs) He got it. I think it was about a week later, I think we were in the grocery store again, and I said something about I love, something I loved, and he says, no, Dad, you really like that thing. And I thought, you're absolutely right, bud. I like that thing. But if love is pursuing the good of someone else, I think we see this most clearly uh, back to John. Let's look, look with me at John chapter 3. Verse 16, if love is defined in terms of what it does and not by what it feels, this verse might be the greatest example of it in all Scripture, where we're told, for God so loved the world. There's the main idea of the verse. God loved the world. Oftentimes we take this word so, and we think of it in terms of size. How much do you love me, Dad? Oh, I love you so much. How big was the dog that was barking at you? Oh, he was so big. That's not at all what the Greek word so here means. It means thusly or in this manner. What John is saying is that God loved us, God loved the world in a certain manner. What manner did he love the world? Well, he he loved the world in a giving manner. He, He thusly loved the world that he gave his only son. See, when we, had, when, when we had broken God's laws, when we had declared what was good for ourselves, when death and destruction and misery and sadness and ruin entered the picture, God didn't just sit up in heaven and say, oh, I feel so wonderful about you. Now, that is certainly a part of God's love for us. Remember, a husband and wife picture God's delight in his people. But no, when God declares that he loves us, he moves to action. He gives us his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. What did God do? He gave his son. He he gave him as our substitute. He gave him to bear the punishment for our violations of God's good restrictions. He he gave Jesus to be an exchange for us, where, where Jesus exchanges my guilt for his righteousness. My guilt, he he takes the consequence for my guilt so that I can receive the consequence of his righteousness. And lest we 
lest we fall into the idea that there is an angry father who is merely placated by a gracious son, we should note that it was God who loved the world. It was God who gave his son. Not after his son saved us did he love us, but before. God planned our redemption before the beginning of time. The word world, particularly in John's writing, it usually refers to sinful humanity. God didn't love the redeemed so much that he gave his son. He loved the world. He loved every single one of us in our fallen state enough to be moved to action, to give us his only son, to die in our place, victoriously conquering death, and rising again, offering newness of life. This is the ultimate example of love. God pursued our good in Christ at great personal expense to himself. God never feels good about sin, but he pursues our good even when we sin. And so, as we think of love today, and we move to our main text, and I think having defined this, we'll see that what comes after moves pretty quickly. Having defined love as pursuing the good of another, just as God has pursued our good in Christ, let's see how that love, how that action, how, how his giving of his son to us and for us because he loves us relates how we uh, or affects how we relate to one another. Turn with me back to John chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 34 and 35 now. And so we've seen love defined. Let's look now at love decreed. Love decreed uh, or love commanded is the idea I want to get at here. The, the context of John chapter 13 verse 34 is this. Jesus is in the upper room. He's less than 24 hours from going to the cross. He has predicted his death again to his disciples. Judas has already left the Passover to go and betray Jesus. Less than 24 hours, he will be on the cross, and these 11 men who are left there in the room with him, who he has poured himself into for three and a half years to carry on the work of the ministry that he started with them, he is giving them his final instructions. I think we could probably safely say that what Jesus is instructing in this time is of, in his mind, utmost urgency. I think it would be foolish of us to prioritize the importance of God's word. They are all important. But this was Jesus' final word to these men. And his instruction, look with me at verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. His command is that they love one another. This, of all the one another's that we will look at, love one another is the one that, is, uh, mo that occurs most in the New Testament. And as we look at the word love connected directly with one another, we find that in the New Testament there are 16 occurrences uh, of the idea of loving one another. And a full 50%, that is eight of those 16 are connected to the word command. A full 50% of the love one another's are commands. 1 John 3.23, as John probably recalls this night and, and what, John, uh, what Jesus said here, 
He says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. 1 Peter 1.22, not only did John the apostle get it, but Peter got it as well. 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The word love there is in the imperative mood in the Greek. It's not optional. It's not a suggestion. Peter is commanding his audience, and thus you and me, to love one another. Second John 2, 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. The lover of our souls has commanded us to love one another. And I think the thing that we need to note here as we consider John 3.16 and John 13 is that he doesn't command us to love one another because of the loveliness of of others. He commands us to love one another because of his loveliness. He commands us to love one another because what he, of what he has done on his behalf. He calls us to love one another until those who we see as unlovely seem lovely. And if we're going to say that God loves us when we say that somebody else seems unlovely, the problem has got to be in our perspective. Not in God's or not in theirs. Charles Spurgeon wrote a letter to a fellow pastor who was having trouble in his church with a a deacon. There was great difficulty between the pastor and this deacon. Here's the whole letter uh, that Spurgeon penned to this pastor. He wrote, bear, bear, bear. Forbear, forbear, forbear. In yielding his victory, fight the devil and love the deacon. Love him till he is lovable. The question that comes before us is then, who do you need to love until you see them as lovely? Who do you, who do you tend to be in the opposite side of the room from? Who do you hope when you cross, will just, you'll just pass each other with maybe a nod or a wave or a high, but I don't want to run to this fellow church member in the store. Your responsibility, our responsibility, my responsibility is to love them until they're lovely because our love towards one another that is doing good towards others is commanded of us. And so first we see that love is decreed, love is commanded of us. Secondly, in this passage, but coming to our third point, we see that love is depicted. What's what's the picture of love? What does it look like to love somebody that way? Well, Jesus doesn't leave us wondering. He shows us, look with me again at verse 34 in John chapter 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And here is the picture. Here is the depiction of love for us. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus shows us what love looks like. How does he love them? Well, just moments before this, He took off his outer robe and got down and washed their feet. Foot washing was a a job below, beneath a Jewish slave. If you had slaves and, and you had a Jewish slave, you did not ask them to wash feet. It was a filthy job. It was below a Jew. You asked your Gentile slaves to wash feet. 
because it was so uh, offensive and dirty and disgusting. But Jesus, their rabbi, master of all creation, creator of the universe, Lord of heaven and earth, takes off his robe and washes their feet. In just a few moments, not having fully understood this yet, they're about to argue about which one of them is the greatest. In a few hours, Jesus will go to the cross and he will be crucified in their place, taking the death that they deserved. And in a few days from this, he will rise again and offer them and you and I newness of life. What does it look like for us to serve? It looks like loving and serving to the point of death. It looks like loving and serving and pursuing the good of those who think they're better than you, of those who betray you, of those who sin against you, of those who deny you, of those who seem like their sole purpose on earth is to make you miserable. What do we do? We bear, bear, bear. We forbear, we forbear, we forbear because in surrender is victory and we love them until they're lovely. Seem impossible? does to me. How do we do it? Well, I think the key lies in this text. Notice what Jesus says is not a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as you have loved one another, you are to love one another. No, he draws attention to himself. He says, I'm asking you guys to go love each other. There have been times where you have fought, argued. He probably knows they're, that they're about to argue with one another about who's the greatest. Two of them had their mom haul them to Jesus and say, Jesus, in your kingdom, put one at your right hand, one at your left. Like churches today, they were probably keeping numbers on how many people they had compared to other disciples or other churches or other whatever it was they needed. We're, we're really good at this, aren't we? We're good at finding any measurement we can to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. He says, no, don't look at them. Don't look at their loveliness. Don't love them for who they are. That's what, that's what the world says today. I will love you as long as you're lovely, but if you cease being lovely, I will cease to love you. God, completely on the opposite, says, I love you not according to your loveliness. I love you according to my graciousness. I love you according to my character. I love you not because of anything you've done to deserve it, and there's nothing you can do to undeserve it. I love you because it's who I am. And Jesus draws our attention to himself. What do we do when, when there's that person that we know we have to serve and love, even though it terrifies us or we don't want to, or it goes against everything in, in our nature? We fix our eyes on Christ and remind ourselves day in and day out that there is no amount of pursuing somebody else's good. There is no amount of loving another brother or sister in Christ that we will do that compares to the lengths that God and Christ went to love me. I'll never have to move that far. I'll never have to pursue that distance. We fix our eyes on Christ. 1 John 4.19 reminds us of this, where John says, we love because he first loved us. 
And so we fix our eyes on the loveliness of Christ. We see love depicted for us there, and we love others in that same manner. But interestingly, there's a wonderful effect when we love one another that way, and that is love displayed. Love displayed. We live in a world that is desperate to feel loved. We got the fourth point on the slides. Love displayed. Uh, we, We live in a world that is desperate to feel loved, but it will never know what love is until it can see and know and experience the love of Christ. How does the church show the love of God to the world around us? Well, this verse tells us, but it's kind of counterintuitive to what we think. Well, if we want the world to see and know and experience love, we go out and we love them. That's true, but it's not the whole truth. Look what Jesus says. By this, the this refers to their love for one another. By your love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus doesn't say the world will know we are his disciples by how we love the world. He'll says we'll know we're, that they'll know we're his disciples by how we love each other. Yes, we love the world, and we are commanded to do that. But it is our love for each other that shows the world the truthfulness of our claim to follow Jesus. With our mouths, we tell what he has done. With our lives, we carefully live so as not to contradict what our mouths say but it is our love for one another that makes the message attractive. So again, the question is before us, who do you need to love in action? I think of this a little bit like um, you can go to the most beautiful, well-built, well-designed, picked up, appears to be clean home, like the biggest, most valuable home. But if they have cats and their cats are not cared for well, it's probably not going to smell right. You walk into this gorgeous place built by this incredible builder and you, you might stand outside even and say, this looks amazing. But then you walk in and... Something just doesn't smell right. A church that has no love for one another is built by the greatest designer at the greatest expense and is the most valuable house ever built. But when God's people are unruly in their love to one another, the world sees that something just doesn't smell right. Who do you need to love as Christ has loved you? Who do you need to pursue the good of for your own soul in order to see them as lovely, for their sake, in order that they might be loved? That is what it looks like to love one another. I want to share two closing thoughts of encouragement for us as we think about the love of God. Number one, you cannot do anything to cause God to stop loving you. 
when you believed, when you trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins, he already knew it all. Sometimes others catch us on guard. I can't believe so-and-so did that. Sometimes we catch ourselves off guard. We sin, we feel guilty. We think that what we did is, is just a horrible thing, and it may be. And then instantly, or usually at some point in the process, we think, oh, how, how could God love me? When he loved you, he knew it all. When he saved you, he paid for it all. He is never caught off guard. He is never surprised. We never finally come to a point in our lives where our sin is so great that he just says, I'm done. It's just too much now. I can't bear anymore. No, he knew it all. You can never do anything that would cause God not to love you because he's never surprised. He knew it all from the start. But secondly, and maybe most encouraging to me, you can't ever do anything to cause God to stop loving you because he never started. Let that, let that sink in for a minute. From eternity past, he loved you. From eternity past, he designed a plan to give his son to redeem us. From eternity past, he set his affection on us. He can't ever stop loving us because he never started. It's why and how he loves us out of his character. And that is the manner in which we are to love and be loved. Oh, Father, let us love with such zeal. Let the source of our love be your love for us and not how we perceive others to be lovely. Lord, may we recall the gospel of what Jesus has done for us, of the fact that you loved us and sent him to rescue us so frequently and so often that it is the foundation, the, the, the source, the wellspring of our love for one another. Father, we, may, we, we, we pray that our love for one another would be not merely in, in word, but that it would be in deed, that it would be in action, that it would be tangible, that it would be so thick among us that the world can't help but to stand up and take notice and be amazed by how we love. Father, you have commanded us to love. You have showed us what it looks like to love. You have shown us that it is our love for one another that will show the world we are your disciples. Thank you for being the lover of our souls, even though you know everything about us. And let us love as you have loved us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. That was fantastic. If, um, if I was a judge, I would, I would hold up a 10. 
Oh, that's my heart and my mind were stirred a lot this morning. Um, so one of the things that's cool about a mask, by the way, if you're a ventriloquist, this is great because no one ever sees your mouth move. It's one group of people who are like, yes, masks. Um, okay, so the elders are working um, hard trying to figure out how to navigate all the rules and policies surrounding everything that's going on. I remember us when you pray. We're doing the best we can. It's, it takes a lot of time to try to get down to the nitty-gritty of how things actually work piece by piece. Remember us when you pray. Um, we want to pray for you, too. If you have uh, prayers or praises, fill out your card. Uh, make sure that it gets in the giving box as you leave. As you know, we're still unable to collect an offering like normal, or well, it used to be normal. So you can continue to give online through the website or the app, uh, or you can just drop your bags of cash out on the out on the patio. Uh, so the last thing I want to tell you is that the state at this point still requires us to wear masks, even when we're singing. So I don't like wearing a mask when I'm singing, but for now, that's the rule. So I just want to remind you, uh, even when you're singing, you should be wearing your mask. As we leave today, we'll leave out that door and gather out in the patio area and visit all you want. Uh, let's pray. Father, what a um, way to start this next week. You've given us so much. Uh, the creator of the universe loved us always. Wow, that's, that's a lot to consider. You've given us so much in this life and so much promised in the life hereafter. The virus may take people away, but death is the 